0: Alright, hello everybody. Welcome this morning. Welcome everybody on social media. So glad you've joined us today. Hey, uh, we're going to be receiving communion at the end of the service. So uh, today I'm going to preach about the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ. So turn in your Bibles to John the 19th chapter. John the 19th chapter. And notice the first verse says this. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. Now, a lot of times we, uh, read through the Bible and we just read over things or read through things very quickly. But that word scourged is a big word in the Bible. Uh, if you study into the Roman scourging, uh, they, they literally ripped our Lord Jesus' body to shreds. Uh, they beat him immersively. And, uh, And and so they scourged him. And I could spend an hour just talking about the scourging process. So let's be careful that we don't read uh, through the Bible too quickly sometimes and miss things. They scourged him. And uh, then in verse 17, And he, Jesus, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. It's also called Calvary, Mount Calvary. And of course, as Jesus was carrying his cross, uh, he started out carrying it, but evidently because of the weight of it, he must at some point have fallen under, under the weight of it. And Simon of Cyrene was compelled to carry Jesus' cross for him the rest of the way to Calvary. And then in verse 18, it says, uh, they crucified him. And again, that word crucify there is like the word scourge. A lot of times we read, you know, uh, the Bible and we, we over, you know, well, they crucified him and then we just read on and go on. You need to understand, uh, the, the, the process of crucifixion, how brutal and awful and terrible it was. You know, uh, a lot of times folks will wear Uh, crosses as necklaces or sometimes ladies wear crosses as earrings and there's nothing wrong with that you know it's identifying that people are Christians you know and that and 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 all of that but you need to realize the cross was was a brutal thing it was like uh, it's kind of like an electric chair you know an electric chair is a brutal brutal thing and that's what the cross was it was a, a brutal thing nothing wrong with wearing a cross as a necklace or anything like that but I'm just saying. You know we we want to be watchful that we don't forget the gruesomeness of what a cross was. It was a place where where people died and uh, and again, wearing a cross, wearing earrings that's fine. It's just you know when people do that they're 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 identifying themselves as Christians, and that's good. but we need to realize that a cross was a, a brutal, brutal thing, a brutal way to die and uh, and uh so Jesus was scourged. And then crucified. Brutal, 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 brutal things. And uh, actually the scourging process, go back to that for just a moment. Uh, the Jews uh, would usually uh, uh, lash people, um, I guess it was uh, 40 less one, 39 times if I'm not mistaken, and, it, and the reason they stopped at thirty-nine is usually because that fortieth lash would be fatal, so they'd stop one lash short of killing somebody just in the scourging. And then again, let, let me just say this: Jesus was not only scourged, but his face was beaten, spit upon, his beard, the Bible says, was plucked. Um, you know, and, and and so so many terrible things happened to Jesus along with the scourging. And then he was crucified. You know, the book of Revelation calls Jesus the Lamb, the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. So as we consider the Bible, we understand that Jesus is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. But what would be the manner of his death? Now, uh, we, of course, know that he died upon the cross, but... If you go back into the Old Testament days, there was no clear, uh, 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 evidence of what, by, by what means he would die. Um, and, uh, we of course know he died on a cross. But if you go back to the book of Genesis, you know, remember when, uh, when the Lord, you know, when God told, uh, told, uh, the the serpent you know after he deceived the man and the woman that that there would come the seed of the woman remember that and 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 that he would bruise his heel remember that and then the and the seed of the woman would bruise the serpent's head but but how is he going to bruise his heel how is he going to do that now we of course know it was on the i mean the cross we we know that but back there in the garden of eden you would know when you just heard the statement that the the Savior's heel is going to be bruised, you wouldn't know that it was going to be the cross. You wouldn't know that. And uh, the, the cross, and you need to realize, it did not just emerge 2,000 years ago when Jesus was crucified on it, but actually it was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. It was foreshadowed in the Old Testament and and, and symbolism. And even before that, actually... You get what I'm saying, though? I mean, if you go back to the Garden of Eden, we know the Savior is going to come. He's going to die. But we don't know what, how he's we don't we don't know back there then how he's going to die. Right. You understand by what means we, we now you and I know it's a cross because we can look back at it. But back there in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve would have had no idea how Jesus was going to die. Right. You understand that? But actually, if you uh, if you. Think about this. Did you know God put the gospel in the stars before he ever put man and woman in the Garden of Eden? Do you know that the gospel has been painted by God in the stars? Did you know that? Yeah. I taught a whole series on that some, some years back. And uh, actually, and, and, and I took, it, took, it took weeks and weeks to go through it all. But actually, um, uh, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with astronomy, astronomy is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's astrology that's demonic. You understand that. But astronomy is just fine. The study, studying the stars. And actually, the, the, uh, one of the uh, star clusters, one of the star clusters is known as the Southern Cross. Did you know that? The Southern Cross. And, uh, uh, And now, again, if you just go out there at night, look up at the stars, you know, you may not even know what you're looking at other than just a a, a bunch of beautiful lights in the sky. But people who study astronomy tell us that there's one star cluster that's known as the Southern Cross. And actually, in the Hebrew, it means the cutting off. The cutting off. And the Bible says that the Messiah would be cut off, you know, but not for himself. And right near that star cluster, what's known as the Southern Cross, there's another star cluster that's called the victim. And actually that victim is a lamb. Is a lamb. And, and the lamb is being slain. And actually, as the lamb in that star cluster is being slain, that lamb has his paw over his mouth... And the Bible says Jesus was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Remember that? He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and his sheep before it shears his silence, so he opened not his mouth. So actually God painted in the stars before he ever put uh, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden by what means Jesus, our Savior, would die. And it would be on the cross. God painted that in the stars. And did you know that that the southern cross that star cluster uh, this is very interesting it was observed in jerusalem for centuries until jesus died on the cross and it has not been seen there since isn't that something and, and you know you say well how can that be well in, in astronomy it has to do with with what is known as precession oscillating motion of the earth's ax, earth's axis i'm not going to get into all that but isn't that fascinating that that's fascinating, isn't it? So God, we're talking about what means would Jesus die. You could see it if you, if you were an astronomer, you could see how he was gonna die in the stars before man and uh, Adam and Eve, man and woman was ever put in the Garden of Eden. You know what I'm saying? The, the cross. See, it's the cross. And, uh, and then as you come into the, into, into the Old Testament, it's interesting, we're talking about the cross here today. And, uh, It's interesting, when Moses came to the waters of Merah, remember they were bitter? And God showed him a tree, and he took that tree. Well, the cross is is made out of what? A tree, right? Out of a tree. Wood. Tree, right? And, And Moses, see the waters were bitter, and Moses took that tree and threw it in the waters, and the waters became sweet. But you see, we still don't see a cross there, we just see a tree, Right? And then the, Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son, son of Man be lifted up. Remember that? Uh, but. And remember, the people had been complaining against Moses and, and the snakes came in and bit the people, you know, and they were dying. And God told Moses, take a serpent, make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole and lift it up. Everybody who looked intently upon that would live. Remember that? Everybody who was bitten by the snakes, you know. But even so, and Jesus likened that to him being lifted up on the cross. But when Moses lifted that pole up there, you didn't see a, it wasn't in the shape of a cross. You, you know, you understand what I'm saying? I'm talking to you now about how, how would we know by what means Jesus would die? Well, of course, I gave you that star, uh, 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 the southern cross, but as you come into the Bible, you really don't see it from my study of it. Now, maybe, now, maybe if, if you studied more than me, you might be able to find it, but where I first find it, it's interesting. And it may be in the Bible before what I'm going to tell you here, but it's interesting. You you know what I'm talking about? When Moses lifted up the serpent, you didn't see a cross there, did you? You just saw a bronze serpent on a pole. Is that right? And when Moses put that tree into into the bitter waters, you just saw a tree going in there. You didn't necessarily think of a cross. You understand that? But it's interesting, if you look at how Israel was camped, Remember the, the twelve tribes of Israel? If you went back and you looked at how God, you can read this in Numbers the second chapter, the book of Numbers the second chapter. If you look at how Israel was, was commanded by God to, when they, when they set up camp, you know. And 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 it's fascinating if you could get go up on a mountain back there then, or go up in a helicopter, or go on a satellite, you know, and look down at it. You know what you would see if you could look at the aerial shot of how 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 uh, Israel was camped. You would see a perfect cross, unbelievable, a perfect cross. And actually, if you study into it more, you can see that right where the the, the right as Israel would camp in the wilderness, right where the the intersection of the cross, you know. Right at the intersection, that's where that tent tabernacle was set up. Remember? Where they slaughtered the animals. It was set up right at the intersection of the cross beams of, of, of the cross, right where the animals were being slaughtered, and that's right where Jesus' heart would be all those thousands of years later as He hung on the cross. Isn't that fascinating? So you see, the cross are actually, if you look at the, at the, at the, uh, the, uh, uh, articles of what's known as the articles of furniture, you know, of the, of that, uh, of that tabernacle, the brazen altar, the brazen labor, the showbread table, the candlestick, the incense altar, you know, and the Ark of the Covenant, if you look at how those Those pieces of furniture were arranged inside that uh, tabernacle. You know how they were arranged? They were arranged in the shape of a perfect, what do you think? A perfect cross. Isn't that something? And then remember at Passover... How many remembers Passover where the, where the, that, that, that death angel or the destroyer was going to pass through the land? Remember, it was the 10th plague on Egypt. Remember that? The death of the firstborn. And everybody, though, who was inside the house that had the door post, uh, you know, they were inside the house and the door post had the blood of the lamb on it. Remember that? They'd be spared. You know, the firstborns would be spared. How many remembers that? And, and, and of course, when God told Moses how to put that blood on the door post, remember, it was in the shape of a what? Of a, it was in the shape of a cross. So, you see, uh, uh, it, the, the cross was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. You saw the cross in the stars. And then, and then it was foreshadowed in the, in, in, in the Old Testament. And you can see the cross throughout the Old Testament. And, uh, you need to know, so I just thought I'd throw that in there. It's interesting. The cross, the cross. Thank God for the cross. Amen. But you know, uh, at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, the cross was the most important message that Paul preached. You know, the Apostle Paul, who God used to write over half of the New Testament, you know, he was a brilliant man. He was one of the most brilliant scholars of his day. But, you know, Paul made the statement, he said that he counted all of his education. Now, thank God for education. Get all the education that you can. You know, I've got some education, a math instructor for years and all of that. Thank God. But, you know, the Apostle Paul was one of the most brilliant theologians of his day and one of the most brilliant theologians of all time. But, you know, he said he counted all that dung. If you compared it to to the importance of the cross of Christ, you know what dung is, don't you? Well, if you don't look it up, but he said he counted all, anything he accomplished in and of himself, any accomplishment he had, he counted it all dung in comparison to how important the cross is. Uh, he said in 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, he said, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You know, the, the, the preaching of the cross of Christ is the most important uh, subject in the Bible. And it's the most important subject to mankind. Did you know that? The preaching of the cross of Christ. And this brilliant man made this statement in 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2. He said, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You know, in 1 Corinthians 1.18, uh, the Apostle Paul writes, and he says this, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Did you know the message of the cross uh, is the power of God, The Apostle Paul said in the book of Romans, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the, to the non-Jew. But you need to realize the gospel is the preaching of the cross. The message of the cross is the power of Almighty God. Did you know the book of Galatians, Paul writes, and he says that the message of the cross is an offense to some. Did you know that the that, that, that preaching of the cross it can, can be offensive? it's a bloody thing. And a lot of preachers over the many years gone by, uh, especially here in the United States, have stopped preaching the cross because they say it's too bloody, it might offend somebody in the congregation. Well, I'm here today to tell you we need to preach the cross. We need to preach the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. We need the preaching of the cross of Christ. Can anybody say amen? Amen. amen? Amen. It may be offensive to some, but it's not offensive to me. The Bible says that there are enemies of the cross of Christ. Well, I don't want to be an enemy of the cross, do you? No. And did you know that the Bible tells us that there's only one thing that we should boast in? And it's found in Galatians, the 6th chapter in the 14th verse. And it's of the cross of Christ. The only thing that we're told... To boast in and it's in the cross of Christ we shouldn't boast in ourselves we shouldn't boast in our accomplishments and so on and so forth the Apostle Paul he did not boast in all of his education and everything that he amassed but he said that he boasted in the cross of Christ and that's the only thing that we're given permission in the Bible to boast about and it's the cross of Christ you know, in Philippians 2, verse 8, the Bible says, let me just read it. Being found in the appearance of a man, Jesus. Think about that. God became flesh. God became a man, Jesus. And humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, death even the death of the cross. You underline that word even in your Bible, even the death of the cross. It was, as I said a while ago, it was the most gruesome way, really, to be put to death. In the, in, 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 in the days that Jesus lived, you know, a crucifixion. You know, I read, read one, one person said that people would, would try to commit suicide before or rather than go to the cross. You need to realize they crucified criminals. You remember Jesus was crucified right in the middle of two, between two criminals, wasn't he? How many of you know Jesus wasn't a criminal? He didn't deserve that. He went there for you and me. Is that right? Uh, I said it a moment ago, I'll say it again. The book of Daniel says Messiah was cut off, but not for himself. See, he went there for you and me. But you see, he humbled himself. Jesus did. He became a man, but he humbled himself yet further. He humbled himself to die. And then he humbled humbled himself even, even further than that. Even the death of the cross, which was the most gruesome, gruesome, gruesome way to die. I was looking at something uh, the other the other day about the shroud of Turin, which I happen to believe was the burial cro- cl- burial cloth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, on that on 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 that that X-ray that they took of that or that picture, and all, you ought to study the shroud of Turin sometime. Uh, 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 that, that, that man that was, was, was buried in that cloth, there's no signs that he resisted the beatings, there's no signs that he resisted the crucifixion at all. The, the forensic people tell us that if he'd have tried to resist, you could tell that. And, and he didn't resist. Jesus didn't resist. He gave his life willingly. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, he said, I give my back to the smiters. While I'm on it, I'll just throw this in. I was studying something about the whipping post that Jesus uh, 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 apparently was whipped at. They still have that. Uh, uh, apparently they have that. I think it's a whipping post that he was scourged at. They have it over there in, I suppose, over there in, uh, in I guess it's over there in the Middle East somewhere. I guess in Jerusalem, somewhere over there. And that post, it, it, it was I, I believe it was made out of marble or granite. And it still has the scars on that marble or granite from the, from the, 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 I guess it's called like a cat of nine tails that they beat Jesus with. And it ripped the shreds out of that marble or that granite post. What do you think it did to his back? You can still see all these 2,000 years later the effects that that whip had on that, on that granite or that marble post. As those whips would come around and hit him, Jesus, it would wrap around, hit him in the back, and then it would wrap and hit that, hit that post that he was tied to, and it left those scars in that post. What do you think it did to his body? My, 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 my. So he humbled himself, he became a man. He humbled, humbled himself yet further to the point of death. And then he humbled himself even further yet to die on the cross. And no signs of resistance, he gave his life willingly. Thank God for Jesus. And He did that for you and me. So what happened at the cross, Isaiah the 53rd chapter, we'll start with verse 3, tells us what happened at the cross. The Bible says he is despised and rejected by men talking about Jesus a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him if you'd have been there that day when he got crucified when he got whipped and he got crucified I you know I I you say what well, I wonder what we'd have done if we'd have been there that day I I it was so gruesome and so awesome we'd have been hide, we'd have been doing this We've been doing this. Did you ever watch something on television? You know, it's going to be pretty gruesome. And you, you know, you do your eyes like this. Sometimes you'll, you know what I mean? How many knows what I'm talking about? You know, it's going to be pretty bad. Well, if we'd have been there that day watching Jesus get beat, watching him get crucified, hang on that cross, we'd, we'd have, we'd hit as it were our faces from him. Notice what the Bible says. He was despised and uh, we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. God smote him on that cross. And he did it for you and for me. He, he, he underwent the judgment, the full judgment of Almighty God and paid the full penalty of sin. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. One of the greatest verses in the Bible deals with spirit, soul, and body. He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. That has to do with spiritual things, sin, and then the chastisement of our peace was upon him. That has to do with our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions. Jesus uh, uh, paid the price for for healing for, from all mental. Uh, 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 Mental, you know, malady. And by His stripes, we are healed. That's physical, you see. Physical healing. That's not talking about spiritual healing there. That's talking about physical healing. Jesus, on that cross, He bore uh, our spiritual penalty, our mental penalty, and our physical penalty. Can you say amen? amen? Glory to God. And by His stripes, we are healed. You see, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Through that, we're forgiven of sin, and our sins are washed away. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. We, we never, if if we'll understand this verse, we never have, have to have another dark day of depression in our life. Jesus bore all that for us. And by his stripes, those the beatings that he took, we are healed physical healing. That's why we shouldn't put up with sickness and disease. Jesus bore our sicknesses in his own body so that we don't have to. And then verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity or the sin of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. We noted this a moment ago. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before it shears his silence. So he opened not his mouth. He saw that in those star clusters I talked about just a, a moment ago. He was taken, verse eight. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. That's why he went to the cross because of the tr- transgressions and sins of mankind. And they made, watch this, verse nine. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the riches death. But he had done no violence. Nor was any deceit in his mouth. See, he wasn't there for, for, for himself. He was there for you and me. He did no wrong. He knew no sin. Jesus knew no sin. Verse 30, verse 10 rather. Verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. See, God judged him. Judge, God judged sin in Christ. He was put, he has put him to grief. Look at this. When you uh, make his soul an offering for sin, and then he'll see the labor of his soul be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant shall by by his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many. I need to slow down here just a little bit to get to going too fast. And then look, he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, verse twelve: I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. See, he, he died right there between those two criminals. One of them repented, thank God. And he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. I tell you what, those are some of the most powerful verses in the Bible, tells us what Jesus did on the cross. I, I'd say the only, the only passage that really rivals this, I'm not going to read it here today, but it's Psalm, the 22nd chapter. The first half of, of that. Chapter, you could read about the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was, it was a, uh, it was uh, it was a terrible thing. Psalm 22. You have your Bibles there with you, don't you? Yeah. Psalms 22. Psalms 22. I wasn't gonna read this. I just feel, uh, uh, impressed here, uh, to read this. I don't have this in my notes, but, uh, Psalm 22. Notice this. Starts out verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, oh, my God, I cry in the daytime. This is what Jesus, this is what's happening to him on the cross. Oh, my God. I, verse two, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, I'm not silent. See, God turned his back on him uh, when he was on the cross. Why? Because he was hanging there and he became sin for you and me. See, and God was judging sin in him. Uh, But you are holy, enthroned in the praise of of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted uh, and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man. Think about that. When he became sin, think about that. I am a worm. See, you study into that word "worm." It has to do. It, it, it connotates. Uh, it gets back to when Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. It has to do with sin. I'm not. Jesus did not become a worm. Somebody say amen to that. But but sin was laid on him. That's what he's talking about. He said, "I'm a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and, and despised by the people." All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord, yet uh, let Him rescue Him. Let Him deliver Him, since He delights in Him. But you are He who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. See, this tells you right there, Jesus was living by faith when Mary was nursing Him. Isn't that something, what you can learn from reading the Bible? And so on it goes. Be not far from me, verse 11, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Look at this, verse 12. Many bulls have surrounded me. Now this is talking about not only in the spiritual realm what was going on, but the natural realm with the Roman soldiers that was uh, beating him and crucifying him. Look at verse 12. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a, a raging and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. Think about that. I mean, it hurts to have one bone out of joint. How would you like to have all your bones out of joint? I mean, when they lifted him up on that cross and they let that cross down into that hole, I mean, it shook his body so bad. All of his, all of his bones were out of joint. My heart is like wax. I believe that's how Jesus died. He died of a broken heart. I believe his heart melted within him. It is melt, well, here it is. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt. That means like, yeah, you know, that, 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 those pots that you plant, plant plants in, you know, and, and you break one of them, you know, you know what I'm talking about? That close clay pots, that's what that's talking about. It so my tongue clings to, to my jaws. Think about how thirsty he was. I mean, he was sweat, I mean, he was dehydrated. I mean, he, he sweat blood back there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember that? And he's so much so dehydrated, his, 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 his tongue clung to his jaws. And you have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Uh, I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. Remember the Roman soldiers divided his garments. Remember that? And for my clothing they cast lots. My, my, my. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me, deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dog, save me from the lion's mouth and from the uh, horns of the wild oxen. I mean, that's what was going on on that cross. We should always be mindful of it. If you look at Isaiah 52 verse 14, in the Amplified, they'll have that on the screen, look at this. Says, for many, the servant of God, what did Jesus look like after they got done beating him and as he hung on the cross? Look at Isaiah 52, verse 14, amplified classic. For many, the servant of God became an object of horror. Many were astonished at him. Think about that. His face and his whole appearance were marred more than any man's. And his form beyond that of the sons of men. But just as many were astonished at Him. That's what Jesus looked like on the cross. Unrecognizable as a man. There's spiritual connotations to that and natural connotations to that. He was beaten mercifully. He was crucified. But then, you see, you can see that in the natural realm. But what you couldn't see in the spirit realm, God laid all the sins of mankind upon Him. And then all the sickness and disease and mental malady was laid upon him too. Think about that. One man bearing all that at one time in one place in one body. No wonder he was not recognizable as a man. Look at 1 Peter 2.24. 1 Peter 2.24. Peter, in one verse, kind of sums up what we read in Isaiah 53. He said, "...who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, or on the cross." Who himself bore, talking about Jesus, did it himself. We're talking about the cross today. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree or on the cross. That we being dead to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Isn't that wonderful? And notice this puts it in the past tense. When Peter uh, wrote this, Jesus had already died and been raised from the dead. And... and. and uh, Uh, He puts it in the past tense. See, we were healed. You need to understand that about healing. That uh, In in the mind of God, he's already done everything he's going to do about your healing. He's already provided it through what Jesus did on Calvary. Through his beating and so forth, you know. And uh, so he bore our sins in his own body on the cross. And by his stripes, we are healed. You know, I have an acronym. You know what an acronym is? I have an acronym for CROSS. C-R-O-S-S. I have an acronym for cross. C is Christ. R is received. O is our. S is sins. And S is sicknesses. Do you ever think about that cross? Christ received our sins and sicknesses. That's an acronym that you could think about as it pertains to the word cross. Christ received, C R O S S. C Christ, R, received, O, R, S, sins, and S, sicknesses. Cross, Christ received our sins and sicknesses. See, he received them and was punished for them so that we can be free. Isn't that wonderful? I think that's a good acronym, don't you? Look at Colossians 2.14. This is the most important message that could ever be, be preached from any pulpit. Is the message of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, notice right here in Colossians two fourteen says, "Having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us." Now, this is talking about what Jesus did on the cross. He wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. See, those are the commandments which we broken, which demanded payment, and He wiped those out. Isn't that wonderful? And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. You see, when a person was found guilty and condemned for a crime, it was a Roman custom to write the charges the person was guilty of on a document, which was called a certificate of debt, and nail it to the door of that person's prison. But you see, Jesus has taken our certificate of death. He took it out of the way. He paid it in full and he nailed it to his cross, paid in full. Can you say amen to that? Is that? That's exciting, isn't it? And then Galatians 3.13. The Bible says Christ, it's talking about Jesus, has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree or on a cross. See, so when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he redeemed us from the curse of the law. He became a curse for us. Isn't that, isn't that something? And that word redeemed, see a lot of times people don't know what some of these Bible words mean, but that word redeem means to pay a ransom for. See, Jesus paid our ransom. He was the payment. Don't ever think of yourself as, 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 as nothing or I'm a nobody or I'm a nothing. You know, something is only worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. Do you know what you're worth? You're worth the life of the Son of Almighty God. God loved you so much that He was willing to pay with the life of His Son for you. So don't ever think of yourself as a nothing and a nobody. See, something's only worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. Well, you're worth the life of the Son of God in the eyes of God. Don't ever think you're a nobody. Can, can you say amen to that? Amen. That's a blessing, isn't it? Yes, it is. That's a blessing. That's what God thinks of every every human being that's ever lived. It's really something to think about. It's really something to think about. Christ redeemed us. He, he, it means to pay, redeem means to pay a ransom for. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. It redeem means to set free. It means to rescue. It means to gain or regain possession of something in exchange for payment. See, Adam sold us out, you know, to the devil in the Garden of Eden and, and God paid with the life of his son to get us back. Isn't that wonderful? He redeemed us. Yes. Redeemed has to do with the cancellation of a debt. So Christ, redeemed us from the curse of the law. You know, it's interesting. Uh, uh, we, we notice that tree. Have you seen the tree come up? The tree, the tree, the tree. If you notice the tree, Christ hung on the tree. Well, it means the cross. You know, it's interesting. Mankind was lost through a tree and mankind was saved through a tree. Did you ever think about that? You know, in the Garden of Eden, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when Adam and Eve ate of it, they... They caused us all, them and us, to be lost. So we were lost through through a tree, weren't we? But Jesus came, all those thousands of years later, died on a tree, died on a cross for us to be saved. We were lost through a tree and we were saved through a tree. Glory to God. God. The tree of the cross, we were saved. Let me just read you a few verses more about the blood of Jesus, if that's okay. And as it has to do with this word redeemed or to pay a ransom for and so forth, as I said, look at First 1 Peter one eighteen. First Peter 1.18, knowing that you were not redeemed or ransomed, you understand, or set free or rescued or so forth and so on. I just read you the definition of redeemed, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. See, we were redeemed or ransomed with the blood of Jesus. That's what it cost to buy us back. Adam sold us out to the devil. That's what it cost to buy us back. And that's what, that's what God gave. He gave the blood of His Son. <laughs> Glory to God. The precious blood of Christ. It satisfied also the claims of a holy God. That precious blood. Colossians 1.14 says, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Talking about the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 9.12, Not with the blood of goats and calves, But with His own blood, He entered the most holy place. Now, after Jesus... See, a lot of folks don't know this. After Jesus was raised from the dead, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, He took His blood into heaven itself and He presented His holy blood on that heavenly mercy seat. And the Bible says when He did that, look at verse 12 here, He obtained eternal redemption. Isn't that wonderful? You see... Notice verse 13, For the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. Uh, You know, in the Old Testament, they used the blood of animals. And the blood of animals was a picture of what Jesus would one day do. It was pointing to Jesus. But the Bible is clear, the blood of animals can never take away sin. The, the, the blood of animals was used to atone or to cover. Atone means to cover. To cover for man's sins annually. But those those offerings, those animal sacrifices had to be offered continually and annually and all of that. But all the blood of the animals could do was cover man's sins for a season. But see, the blood of Jesus doesn't cover man's sins. The blood of Jesus removes sins as though they never committed it in the first place. Isn't that wonderful? Washes them away as though they never were there in the first place. That's wonderful, isn't it? And look at verse 14 here. How much more shall the blood of Christ... So so if the blood of animals could do some things, how much more shall the blood of Christ through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? See, the blood of Jesus is so powerful, it cleans your conscience. You understand that? See, the blood of the animals in the Old Testament could only cover sin, but the blood of Jesus doesn't cover it. It washes it away, as though you never did it to uh, to, to, to begin with. Have you ever done something you felt guilty about it? And did you ever think, "Well, I wish I could go back and not and not do that"? How many's ever thought that besides me? You know, you did something wrong and you felt guilty, felt guilty, felt guilty. You thought, oh, if I could just go back in time and not do that, I wouldn't have all this guilt. Yeah. How many's ever felt that besides me? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, the blood of Jesus makes that possible. If You do something wrong, you mess up, you're ridden with guilt. If you'll really repent and ask the Lord to forgive you, confess your sins before Him, I tell you what, He'll make it like you never did the wrong in the first place. That's what the blood of Jesus did that the blood of animals couldn't do. Glory to God. Isn't that exciting? my, 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 my. The Lord Jesus said himself about his own blood in Matthew twenty six twenty eight. He said, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Isn't that wonderful? That's what the blood of Jesus uh, uh, did for us. You know, uh, let me just tell you this. If you're taking notes, three of the greatest words in the Bible. You, you want to know the three greatest words in the Bible. In the Old Testament, the greatest word to the Old Testament sinner, the greatest word to the Old Testament sinner was the word atonement, because they could believe on the coming Messiah and and, and what would happen? The blood of those animals would cover their sins. Atonement—that'd be good news. If you lived in the Old Testament, you were a sinner, and you came to the to the realization that you were going to believe on the Messiah. And when you did that, the blood of those animals—you know—that was offered there at the at the tabernacle and whatnot, you know in the temple that 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 uh, glory to god that that blood would cover your sins so atonement was the greatest word in the old te- for the old testament sinner or saint you know but you know the greatest word for the new testament sinner is a word redemption or remittance which not only covers our sin but it removes our sin the bible says as far as the east is from the west see north and south meet but east and west never do isn't that wonderful yeah. but you know the greatest word for the new testament saint is forgiveness See, when we come as Christ, to come to Christ as a sinner, uh, our sins are remitted. They're washed away. But how many's ever messed up after they've got saved besides me? See, so we don't have to have our sins remitted again or washed away like we did when we first get saved. But when we come to Christ, we're a new creature. But how many's ever missed it after you got saved beside me? Guess what? The greatest word to you and me is forgiveness. Because the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, talking to Christians, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, so the greatest word in the Old Testament would be atonement. You could get your sins covered. The greatest word in the New Testament for a sinner would be remittance or redemption because it washes your sins away. And the greatest word to a Christian would be if you mess up, you can go get forgiveness. Isn't that wonderful? And the blood of Jesus makes all that possible. Look at Revelation 1.5. five. It says this, Revelation 1.5. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Isn't that wonderful? Look at, look at Romans 5, 8 and 9. I mean, these verses just keep coming, don't they? This, this is a blessing to me, reading these verses on the blood of Jesus. Look at Romans eight, Romans five eight nine. But God demonstrated His own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Where did He die for us at? On the cross. Much more than having now been justified by His blood. Justified means to be declared righteous. I like this little play on the word justified. It's justified, never sin. Glory to God. That's what the blood of Jesus does. It's so powerful that if you'll repent of your sins and receive Him and trust in Him and confess your sins to Him, His blood will make it justified, never sin in the first place. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Isn't that wonderful? See, His blood justifies us. It declares us righteous. It makes it as though we never sinned in the first place. And then the Bible goes on to say that we'll be saved from wrath, from God's judgment from hell through Him. Look at Colossians 1.20. And by Him to reconcile all things to Himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Isn't it good to know that we have peace with God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? Look at Ephesians uh, 2 verse 12. That in the, notice this, at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Now this is talking about before you got saved. Alright. I mean, this is really talking about Jews and Gentiles, but for the sake of today's sermon, we'll just put it this way. Think about the time when you weren't saved before you came to Christ. At that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You know we were all there at one time, weren't we? Lost and undone without Christ. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, far off from God, have been brought near to God by what? By the blood of Christ. Isn't that wonderful? The blood of Jesus Christ brings us near to God. See, our sin separated us from God, but the blood of Jesus brings us near to Almighty God. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says the temple. See, only the high priest could go into that Holy of Holies, you know, once a year. You understand that? Only the high priest could go in there and there was a, there was a, there was a veil up there where only the high priest could pass through and only once a year and it, he had to handle things very delicately. You know in the Old Testament, you couldn't just go slop hopping up around God like a lot of Christians try to do today. Do you know that? How many of you know that? You had to be very watchful how you approached the presence of God. You had to be very reverent. I tell you what, so much so that they'd tie a rope on the high priest. He went in there in that Holy of Holies. If he didn't conduct it, he had to dress just so. He had to conduct himself just so. If he didn't go in there and act just right, he'd fall down dead, you know. Because he had bells, he'd wear bells. If they heard those bells stop jingling, you know, they knew he did something wrong. In the presence of God, he fell dead, you know. And they'd pull him out with the rope. I mean, we need to get back to that kind of reverence for Almighty God. And we need to to, to, to approach him that way today. Can you say amen to that? We've lost that here in the United States, by and large. People going to church look like they're going to Walmart. My God, we're going. if you went to see the president, how would you dress? Now, I'm not talking about putting people down for what they have and don't have. Or how they dress and don't dress. I'm not doing that. I'm talking about a matter of the heart, respect. People, I didn't intend to say this, but I feel impressed in the spirit of God. If you, were, if you were going to go see the president there, you know, in Washington, D.C., you wouldn't go dressed like you're going to Walmart. Is that right? How many of you know you'd get you a nice suit? Probably you guys or you ladies get you a nice dress. Is that right? But yet we'll come to church and we'll look like we're going to the beach or Walmart. My God, what's going on? And you wonder why the presence of God isn't in churches in this land like it once was. Now again, my mama, she didn't like to go to church uh, uh, back years back. Way she loved coming here. She didn't like going back way on back yonder because she said they'd make fun of you for what you dress or what you didn't dress and how you dress. How many of you know that, that? We shouldn't be judged by how we're dressed. Is that right? Is that right? I mean, so I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about an attitude of the heart. What I'm getting at is here, don't you think we ought... Here's what I'm getting at. Don't you think we ought to approach the house of God with more reverence than we approach Walmart? Yes, yes or no? Yes. And in the Old Testament, see, they approach the, the uh, presence of God that away so much so that, that that the power of God had come in sometimes like the glory cloud and people would fall uh, the priests couldn't stand a minute they couldn't literally stand up because the presence of God was so strong. see that that was because they reverenced it you see I'm not trying to put anybody down but I'm just saying do you see how the United States I tell you what when I was I don't know why I'm on this but when I was a kid you I tell you what you didn't go to church without wearing a suit and a tie. Now I'm not trying to make this about dress, and I'm not trying to make it legalistic. I'm trying to an attitude of the heart. You see how things have degenerated over the years? Yes or no? Yes. I'm using I'm using dress as a as as an example here. I mean, you just wear the best you can. If 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 the best you have is whatever, wear it. We're not put. We're not talking about. I'm talking about an attitude of the heart. Yep. Next week I'm going to see everybody come in tuxedos and <laughs> <laughs> it look like they're going to prom. You know. So I'm not I'm not saying that. uh, Do you see what I'm driving at? You see what I'm driving at? So many churches aren't really houses of God anymore. They're they're, they're like country clubs. They're like Starbucks. And then we wonder how come the power of God's not, not manifestation anymore than what it is. I didn't intend to say any of that, but I feel that was by the Spirit of God. Maybe it'll help somebody out there on social media. I don't know. But you see, the high priest could only go into that holy of holies. But when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible said that God ripped that veil from top to bottom, not from bottom to top. Uh, earthquake could have done that. To be ripped from top to bottom, God had to rip it. And when he ripped it, see, the blood of Jesus caused God to rip that veil. So now everybody who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ has full and total access to Almighty God. Can you say amen to that? Amen. To Jesus. My, 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 my. The Bible says, Hebrews 10, 19, says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. See, it's the blood of Jesus that allows us to enter into the presence of God boldly. And then in Revelation 12, 11, They overcame the devil by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. My, 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 my. Well, I preach myself happy, as the one minister said. Let me close now. You get anything out of this so far? Well, let me close that, close. Listen to this. I got some interesting statements here. Listen to these. As Jesus hung on the cross, some from the crowd cried out and said to him, Save yourself and come down from the cross. But Jesus wasn't concerned about saving himself. He was concerned about saving you and me. And the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. How many of you are glad he didn't come down off that cross? He could have come down. He could have called legions of angels. He could have come down from that cross. But And they said, they, they said, save yourself, Jesus, come down from the cross. But he didn't do it. He didn't do it. Because you see, he had that joy set before. him. He saw that, that as a result of him, he knew that as a result of him staying on that cross, it would bring you and me to, to, to the glory of God. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. So he stayed on the cross. Listen to this. This is outstanding. Not because I'm saying it, but these, these, these. Listen to this. Listen to this. Not because of me, but listen to this. Jesus Christ's virgin birth, although necessary, did not save us. Jesus Christ's teaching, although wonderful, did not save us. Jesus Christ's miracles, although powerful, did not save us. Jesus Christ's death on the cross did. Did you ever think about that? I'll say that again because I see some people taking notes. His virgin birth, although necessary, did not save us. His teaching, although wonderful, did not save us. His miracles, although powerful, did not save us. But His death on the cross did save us. Glory to God. You know, this message of the cross is really all about one thing. It's about keeping people out of hell. Did you know hell is the most terrible place in existence? But did you know hell is also the most unusually barricaded place in all existence? Did you know God doesn't want anybody to go to hell? He didn't create hell for man anyway. He created for the devil and his angels, but when man fell, there was no other place to put man when he died other than hell. I'm talking about man that would reject Christ. That's where they go. So hell's a terrible place. And people go there every day. And it's the most terrible place in existence, but you also need to know this about hell, that it is the most unusually barricaded place in all of existence. God has barricaded that place, and it's very hard for somebody to get into that place, but millions of people go there every day. How do I know that? Because Jesus said, uh, narrow is the way. He, well, first of all, he said, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many there be that go in there at. Is that Right? He said, there is a way that leads a life, few there be that find it. But hell is very uh, unusually barricaded. God is barricaded. First of all, God has barricaded hell with the, with, with, with the gospel that we see in creation and that we see in the stars. Did you know Romans, the first chapter, says that, that, that people uh, uh, are without excuse before God because we should see God in creation. That's where we should see God. He's painted the gospel in the stars. So you would have to, to, to go to hell, you would have to to shove aside God speaking to you in creation. You'd have to shove that aside. And then the next barricade you run up against, that hell is barricaded with, is this holy Bible. And to get into hell, not only are you going to have to shove aside what God has, has, has how he's presented himself in creation, but now you're going to have to shove aside and throw aside the holy Bible. And then God has barricaded hell with heralds of the gospel. You know what I mean by heralds of the gospel? Preachers of the gospel, ministers of the gospel. Not just those that stand behind a pulpit, but people like yourselves that go out into the highways and the byways and tell your friends and family and others about the Lord Jesus Christ. I think about that sign that we have out there that, that thousands and thousands and thousands and, and tens of thousands of people have gone by over the years. I tell you what, I bet there's over there's probably several thousand cars a day go by that sign out there. And, and over the years, probably hundreds of thousands of people have driven by that sign. That's why the Holy Ghost told me years ago, he said keep Jesus on that sign. Keep Jesus on that sign. Now there's sometimes we'll put up, you know, we'll advertise what's going on at the church or, you know, we're having a special meeting. Sometimes we do that. But I'd say 95%, 90, 95% of the time, if you've ever noticed that sign, it's pointing people to Jesus Christ because the Holy Ghost told me keep Jesus on that sign. And you see, for people to go to hell, I don't know how many people have gone to hell that they've, they drove by that sign and And we had the gospel message. See, for people to get into hell, they have to bypass what God says in creation. They have to bypass the holy written Bible. They have to bypass the heralds of the Bible. You know what I'm talking about? Don't think that sign is out there by accident. That sign is out there ordained of God. And I know there's people read that sign at thousands of people have read the gospel and heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just through that little simple sign out there, can you say Amen. But to get into hell, you're going to have to push those kinds of things aside. And then you're going to also, hell is barricaded. The Heavenly Father has barricaded it with the wooing of the Holy Ghost. You know the Holy Ghost, I say wooing, but the drawing. Do you know the Holy Ghost draws people? Holy Ghost draws people. Holy Ghost draws people. Holy Ghost draws people. Well, what about somebody that's never heard the gospel? I'll tell you this much. I've studied the Bible enough to know that at some time in everybody's life, God deals with people concerning the message of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. In some way or another. But hell is barricaded with the wooing or the drawing of the Holy Ghost. You have to bypass that. And then finally, the last barricade that stands in front of the gates of hell is the cross of Jesus Christ that that, that has the shed blood of Jesus Christ on it. And people have to throw that aside as well to get into hell. So hell is an unusually terrible place, but it's also unusually barricaded. It's it's barricaded with the gospel in creation. It's barricaded with the gospel in the Bible. It's barricaded with the gospel through the heralds and people that preach it. It's barricaded with the gospel that comes through the wooing and the drawing of the Holy Ghost. It is barricaded with the very beams of the cross itself with the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on it. My God, it's hard to go to hell, but you'd have to throw all those barricades aside to go into that place. I tell you what, I got better sense than to throw those barricades aside. I received Jesus. How about you? And when I talk about the cross, I'm not just talking about two wooden beams. I'm talking about what Jesus did on that cross. Because you can make a God out of anything. And did you know you can make a cross out of two wooden beams? Remember when they lifted up the serpent in the wilderness? Remember when Moses lifted that up? How many of you know he lifted that up? And that, that bronze serpent, they made an idol out of that. And Hezekiah had to destroy that years later. Well, you know, I've watched ministers over the years. They make—they actually make a God out of the, the actual cross beams of the cross itself. I don't worship wood. I worship what Jesus did on that wood. So let me make myself clear. I do not worship the cross. I worship what happened on that cross. The one who hung on that cross. Can you say amen? Amen. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. The emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross. Till my trophies at last I lay down. I'll cling to the old rugged cross. And I'll exchange it someday for a crown. Amen. Can you say amen to that? Amen. You, Listen, on social media, we're going to sign off now. And we're going to have a communion service right here. We take a few minutes and receive communion. So we're not going to do that on social media. But if you're out there today, I just want to say this to you. And There's much more I could have said about the cross. I could have talked about a lot of different things. But I think we've, we've said quite a bit here that would have blessed you. And so, I just want to say to you, if you're watching me today, have you received Jesus as your Savior? He went to that cross for you. And what you need to simply do is repent of your sins, just turn from your old life and say, Jesus, come into my heart, I receive you and what you did for me on the cross. If you'll believe in your heart that God has uh, raised Jesus from the dead, that he died on the cross. You raise him from the dead and you'll confess him as your Lord and receive him. The blood of Jesus, the Holy Spirit will take the blood of Jesus and wash all your sins away. He'll make you a new person in Christ. You'll miss hell one day and you'll make heaven. And he'll make your worth, life worth living in the meantime. So receive Jesus today and what he did on the cross if you haven't done that. Well, thanks for joining us. And, and I, I wish you all the best. God bless you and bye-bye.